God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring the service to you, wherever you are. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bible to the book of Hebrews near the back of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6 today. That's where we're going to be, and we'll also show those verses up here in the video for you, just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about undercurrents. As we mentioned in our message last week, when a new life begins, there's things that need to be learned as that new child begins to grow. At first, we learn the basics, how to get food, how to walk, how to talk, and just what you need to survive each day. But God didn't create you to simply survive. No, He created you to thrive. He wants you to discover Him, to walk with Him, and to place all your faith and all your hope in Him. There's a lot more to life than just the basics. And the more you learn about God, the more thankful you'll be as you understand just how much He thinks about you, how much He cares for you, and how many of the wonderful things that He's planned for you throughout eternity. That's why He wants you to progress, to grow, and to mature in your new life. He's got amazing things prepared for you on up the road. But there's undercurrents in life that will try to keep you right where you are. The world doesn't want you to grow in the Lord, and it will throw everything it can to distract you, just to keep you from being where you need to be. I read a testimony from a young lady named Victoria the other day, and it was about how she used to go to the beach as a young girl, and she had a family, and they would go with her, and her brothers and sisters, and mom, dad, and when she was young, they would go to the beach and they would set up their spot on the beach with huge red umbrella. She would play in the water for hours and just get lost in her thoughts, she said. Then one afternoon, she swam out to the second sandbar way out in the water. And she stood up to wave to the family, but when she looked back to the beach, she couldn't see that red umbrella in the crowd. In a panic, she swam back to the shore and she walked one direction until she finally saw that red umbrella again. She found them. She later found out that what had happened was the undercurrents in the water had subtly pushed her off course as she was swimming out to that sandbar and swimming back. It was so subtle that she didn't even know that they were there. But each and every step she would take on the sand under those waves those undercurrents would move her slightly off course from where she wanted to go. I can relate to that when I was a, a young man in the United States Navy and we were swimming every day. That's what we did for recreation in the Navy. And we were in Southern California at that time at a little place called Newport Beach over south of Los Angeles. And we were body surfing. That means that I just used a fin on one foot and a little, one of those little styrofoam boards, a little body surfing board and everything. 
But the waves were huge that day. And there were warning signs on the beach that said, don't go out in the water. These waves are dangerous. It had undertow, what they called undercurrents. I didn't pay any attention to that. I was all of 19 years of age. I didn't pay any attention to what anyone said. Certainly not signs, and here it was. It was the water, and I was from Texas. We didn't have an ocean in Texas like that. And so I went out into that water, and those waves were just huge. They were, they were the size of like a one-and-a-half-story building and throwing me along on that little board. I was having so much fun, but I didn't notice until after a while I turned around to look at where my friends were on the, on the beach, and they were so tiny, they looked like tiny little ants. And I couldn't really see them anymore. And they were waving at me, and they seemed to be panicked that something was going wrong. Well, I was used to swimming a long ways every day in the Navy. So I said, well, no problem. I'll just turn around and swim back to shore. And I began swimming and swimming and swimming. And then I looked up. And I said, well, I'm not making any progress here. I don't know what's going on, but I need to make a different kind of stroke so that I can last longer. And so I turned on my back and I did a backstroke. Those of you who are swimmers know that you can swim a long time on your back. And so I swam like that. Now, of course, during that time, I'm looking up at the sky. Well, after I swam for several, several minutes on a backstroke toward the beach, I then looked around to see how close I was, and I wasn't any closer at all. In fact, I was even farther away from that beach. I began to get a little worried. By this time, I looked up and I could barely see my friends, and a lifeguard had pulled up, and they were pointing out to me, and he was running into the water, jumping into the water to try to come out and save me. So I started swimming toward him as best as I could, but after a while, I was getting tired. My life began to pass before me at that time. I would try to swim on top of the water, but just underneath the water, the undercurrents were taking me back out to sea. They were going the opposite direction of the waves on top of the water. I didn't know what undercurrents were. But by the time he got out there to help me, it turns out that the undercurrents were so strong, they started carrying both the lifeguard and me out. And we both had to paddle on the board together to get back into shore. And it took a long time because those undercurrents were fighting us, trying to carry us away from the beach and out to sea. Those undercurrents were doing that in the entire beach for miles that day, I should have paid attention to the signs. While that lifeguard was pulling me out, another young man died, drowned, about a block away further up, up the beach than I was. While that lifeguard was saving my life, another young man lost his life. I know what undercurrents can do in your life. They sweep past you without even being noticed. Seemingly, gently, and slowly moving you off course, working against you most of the time. They work so gradually, you don't even see the direction of your life being changed. There's people that stop hanging out with you because they know that you're now a believer. 
someone in your family doesn't like you anymore because they think you've become a religious fanatic. These aren't just unfortunate situations. These are also undercurrents in life designed to take your mind off of what God is calling you to do. That rejection from others can subtly try to sway you away from the road you're on. Those undercurrents do more than hurt your feelings at times. They can also work in subtle ways to slowly change the way that you think to where you'll start making compromises in your faith just to gain the approval of others. They slowly carry you down that beach of life to a place that you didn't mean to go to, to a place that's trying to make you into someone you didn't really mean to be. At the same time, other undercurrents of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness in your own life can slowly sweep away the joy and the peace that used to be in your heart. That's what Hebrews chapter 6 is talking about and warning us about in the first part of this chapter. There's two parts to this chapter. The first part is talking about how you can be distracted from the journey you're on, distracted from growing and maturing in your new life and find yourself off course and not growing and maturing as you should. You're still a baby. You were born into the new life. You were born again into your spiritual life. But you haven't grown. You haven't progressed because those undercurrents of life are keeping you where you are. They're not letting you go forward. And if you're not progressing in the faith, you'll never see the other promises that God has for your life on up the road. But those promises are the ones that can build hope in God. And that hope can carry you through the tough times, the trials you face in life. It's important to grow in the hope you have in God. And that's what our scripture today is talking about. It says in Hebrews chapter 6, starts talking about the dangers of not progressing, not growing in your new life. You've received wonderful promises. Don't leave it all behind. Find out more about what God has provided for His children. It's telling you to go on from the basics and learn about the rest of what God has given you. So chapter 6 verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That just means completion. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead work and faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now notice that these are the basic beliefs that you believe when you come to the Lord, but then He expects you to grow after that. And it says in verse 3, and this is what we will do if God permits. Then it continues in verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, that if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. Now notice that this is a stern warning. But he's not really saying that you're going to be careful because God is going to cast you out of His kingdom at the slightest wrong that you do. No, God is patient and He's merciful. He's the one that said, Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. God is far more merciful than any man that's ever lived. You see, He wants to forgive you. He wants to bring you safely through. But He's trying to warn you about staying where you are 
and not going forward and living the new life that He's given you. You can't just stay a baby all your life. It's one thing to learn how to feed yourself with that bottle and how to walk and how to talk, but that's just survival. You got to get up and do the other stuff and learn about life. You got to go live life. Verse 7 then continues, For the earth, when, which drinks in the rain, which often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it's rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burnt. In other words, God expects a changed heart after you've received His grace and mercy and forgiveness, after you've been born again into His kingdom, He expects you to have a changed heart and that now you're going to want to know Him. You're going to want to learn about Him. These verses confirm what we said in the intro. And that's what Paul is saying in the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, that's what life is all about. It's for those who have new life in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. They realize that the things of this world are insignificant compared to the things of the kingdom of God. But everything that they should do in some way should be connected to that time in which the Lord will suddenly appear to take us home with Him, to be with us, to be with Him in His kingdom. And that's the anticipation of our hope important words, the anticipation of His return. That's our hope that He will return for us and come and take us with Him. And there's so many promises associated with that that you're not going to get until you grow in the Lord and grow in His Word. That anticipation is our hope and it's our unshakable hope that the world can't take away from us. Nobody can take that away from you. They can't do anything to you to prevent you from receiving that promised hope of God coming to take you to His kingdom and giving you everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven forever. The world can't take that hope away. It's unshakable hope. That hope, the world cannot offer anything that even can remotely compare to that hope that He gives us. It's that unshakable hope that becomes the foundation of your new life as you go on down the road of everlasting life. And that's what the next verses talk about in chapter 6, how that hope will be at the center of your life every day through every trial, no matter what you're going to go through in life. That hope of heaven, that knowledge that the Lord will see you safely into His kingdom is always with you, anchoring you steady in those tossing seas and the waves of the world. Those undercurrents can't move you when you're anchored to the hope of God and the Word of God. Those waves can't touch you when you're anchored to His Word. They give you a deep peace that nothing in the world could ever take away. A peace that passes all understanding is what the Bible calls it. A peace that's with you always. And if you're my Jewish brother and sister, you know what I'm talking about here. You know the concept of heaven. You know the concept of the Lord judging the world for its sins. Because that's a Jewish concept from the Tanakh. It's taught in the Tanakh, in the Torah. Jewish people know what Yom Hadin means. It's judgment day. Yom, day, ha, the, din, court. 
or judgment, day of the judgment, Yom Hadin. And that's when God judges the sins of the world once and for all to remove the heartache and pain of sin and suffering from creation. But as we mentioned earlier in our last message last week, Pesach was talking about how God will use the blood of the blemish-free lamb on the doorposts of the hearts. And when he sees the blood of that blemish-free lamb, the sacrifice of God, Jesus the Messiah, he will pass over you in judgment. So my Jewish brothers and sisters, you understand when I talk about judgment because this came from your Tanakh, which is ours that you have graciously kept for us through the centuries and given us to share your God, our God, with the world. And now that God has given his only begotten son, Jesus the Messiah, so that all who believe on him would be saved and allowed to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is the unshakable hope that we're talking about. And all you need to do is simply stay in the race. Don't give up. Just finish the race. You don't have to be the fastest one in the race. You don't have to cross the finish line first. You, you just need to finish your race. It's like a marathon. It's not a short sprint. It's an endurance race. You just keep going. You just pace yourself. You set your eyes on that horizon. You don't give up. Slow, fast, doesn't matter. You just finish your race. Finish the race the Lord has given you to run in life. Finish your race. And I know you can do it. I know that because the Lord Himself has promised to always be right there with you, helping you, picking you up when you fall, getting you back on track. And that's why I say with confidence that I know you can finish the race. But in races, we don't stand where we are and we don't go backwards. In races, we go forward. It's a time for growing. That's what I'm saying. Let's look at the next part of our chapter, chapter 6 here. We're going to start reading at verse 9 now. But beloved, he says, we are confident of better things concerning you. He's saying, we know you're not going to stop. We know you're not just going to sit around and be a baby for the rest of your life. He says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that will accompany salvation. Now, salvation in itself is wonderful, but that's just part of your new life, right? Once you're born again, that's when the growing comes. Maturing into that wonderful new life that God's given you. And then, as you grow, you're going to see the amazing promises that He has for your new life and for your future. He says, I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans. They're not evil plans. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. That's what God says in Jeremiah 29, 11. So let that new birth take its course and grow in the Lord. That's what we're saying. Now he says, continuing in our reading, we start again at verse 9 because I interrupted it with my own comments. He says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, even though we're talking in stern terms, we know that God's going to do these things and cause you to grow. He's just saying, watch out for those undercurrents. Be aware that there's undercurrents there. And if you ask the Lord and you keep your hand in His and you walk with Him, He's going to see you safely through all those undercurrents and He's going to bring you back to the place that you need to be. 
Verse 10 continues, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you've shown toward His name. He's not going to forget any of that stuff that you've done, the good stuff. He knows what you've done. He knows how hard you're trying. He knows the heart. It says in one of the books of Samuel, it says that God is telling Samuel the prophet, other people look on the appearance, the outward appearance of a man. But I, the Lord, don't look on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. That's a wonderful verse. It doesn't matter how tall you are. It doesn't matter how good looking you are. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. What matters to God is He looks right through all of that and He sees the heart. And He wants to know that your heart is given to Him and it's for Him. That's why it says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said those are the two greatest commandments. And in those two things, all of the law and all of the prophets, all of the Torah, all of the Tanakh are all included in those two commandments. They fulfill all of the law and all of the Torah. For God is not unjust, verse 10 said. He's not going to forget your work and your labor of love that you've shown toward His name in that you've ministered to the saints and you do minister. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until the end. You see what he's saying here? After you start that race, you begin your journey and you finish it. Ever how many days God has given you, go toward the Lord. Don't stay still. Don't back up. Go toward the Lord. You are running into His arms where He has prepared a place for you that is beyond all imagination, everlasting life that can't end. Things that unimaginably wonderful. You can't even comprehend them in your mind today that you have. Verse 12 says that you do not become sluggish when you're running but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. He's talking about our examples in the Bible. People like Abraham of Inno, Abraham our father. He's saying don't be lazy in your new life, but patiently keep your hands on that plow. Serve the Lord. Plant those seeds that He's given you that others might know the new life in Him. In faith, know that your labors in the Lord are not in vain but that He will reward you. God continues His message in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13. And the writer of Hebrews says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because He could swear by no one greater, He swore by Himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, it says in verse 16. And an oath for confirmation is for them an end to all dispute. You swear that you're telling the truth. And that's enough for a court to listen to you and take into consideration all that you're saying. Well, in verse 17 says, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeability of his counsel confirmed it with an oath. That there were two unchangeable things. First, it's impossible for God to lie. 
He doesn't have to lie. He can do everything. He's all-powerful. He doesn't lie because He's good, because He is truth, and His Word is truth. God is not a man that He should lie. He's always light, always good, and always the truth. It's impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation in the fact that it's impossible for God to lie. And now it's God who's talking to us and blessing us and promising us this amazing hope and entry into His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. It says that we might have strong consolation. We know that God Himself has promised this. And when God had no one greater than Him to swear by, He swore by Himself. He said, blessing, I will bless you. He swore by himself because there is no one greater than God. So he calls himself into account and commits to doing those things which he's promised to do for you. It's impossible for God to lie. So we have comp, comp, strong consolation in him. We've fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us, it says in verse 18. Then verse 19 continues and says, This hope that we have as an anchor to our soul, remember? Both sure and steadfast, those undercurrents can't touch it. They can't rock that anchor. It's a huge anchor, strong anchor, anchored in something that's solid in the promise of God. It says in verse 19, This hope that we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, speaking to the Jewish mind here about the temple, the tabernacle, where the forerunner, Jesus the Messiah, has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, whom we talked about last week. You can go back to that message. Very, very important message understand why the Messiah would not be just a normal person, but that he would be someone who lives forever and would never die. Only one person ever fit that description, and that's the Jewish man, the most famous Jewish person who ever lived, the Jewish man whose life split time itself into two pieces, into two parts. The Jewish man whose life affected civilization on earth more than any other person who's ever lived. Go back and listen to last week's message. It works hand in hand with this message. You'll be very glad you did. Now we're commenting on these last parts, the last part of chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews. This whole chapter is really two parts. The first part says, don't stay where you are. Don't just remain a baby. And the second part says, get up and grow. God's got all these amazing promises for you. And when you hear those promises, when you learn of them, when you learn of the things that God's going to do, the hope in your heart is going to build up into an unshakable hope. It's going to be anchored in the promises of God, in the Word of God. And He's saying to you, get up and grow. Get up and grow. Why don't you give your life to Him today? If you don't know Him, give your life to Him today, right now. If you call out to Him, He's going to answer that cry. And He'll answer you and He'll rescue you from that darkness. He'll shine His light 
on your heart and you'll be given newness of life. You'll be given a new heart. He'll change you into a new person. He'll throw all that old bad history away. and You'll be made completely new. And He'll give you everlasting life in His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And that's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to know Jesus Christ today. We want to give you an opportunity to believe on Him as Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. God, I do want to know You and have real peace in life. I believe on Your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to You. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you, and He's already started working in your life. Over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes He's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him in His Word and talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do wonderful things, amazing things in your life. 